Elton will be speaking to us tonight at our 6 o'clock lesson. We always look forward to hearing all these Sunday evening speakers. Variety of speakers, variety of lessons, variety of approaches, all joining for our spiritual benefit. This is our ninth lesson in this series on questions from God. Ahab was the seventh king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He was a morally weak and timid man, easily influenced by the people and circumstances of his environment. But he was not so hard of heart as to render him incapable of proper conduct. When he was informed of the severe judgment which God would afflict him in his ruling house, he humbled himself, rent his clothes, donned sock, sackcloth, and walked contritely before God. God acknowledged his humble spirit and delayed judgment upon his house until after his death. 1 Kings 21, 27-29. If he had married a godly wife who could have influenced him for good, Perhaps he might have been the sole righteous king to reign over the northern kingdom. Instead, he married Jezebel, the daughter of the king of Zidon. Regarding her wicked influence, inspiration asserts, Ahab sold himself to work wickedness whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. 1 Kings 21, 25. Jezebel's dominance in his life induced him to insert the poison of Baal worship into the spiritual bloodstream of Israel. He served Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. That was the capital city of the northern kingdom, 1 Kings 16, 31 to 33. Following his death, his son Ahaziah commenced his brief reign of two years over Israel. In addition to Jeroboam and Ahab, the continuing influence of Jezebel is noted as Ahaziah walked in the ways of his mother. 1 Kings twenty-two fifty-two. Suffering with an injury, he inquired of the Baal god of Ekron concerning the possibility of recovery. He was informed by God's messenger that he would die because he sought aid from an idol instead of God. Twelve years later, God arranged to have Jehu, the military captain of Ahab's army, to be anointed as king over Israel. God used him to bring judgment on Ahab's ruling house and the worshipers of Baal. He slew Jehoram, ordered the death of Ahaziah, king of Judah, who was married to Athaliah, daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. He then ordered the death of Jezebel, the 70 male descendants of Ahab, and all that remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel, all his great men and his kinfolks and his priests, until he left him none remaining. 1 Kings 10, 11. He consummated God's judgment against Ahab, Jezebel, in their ruling house by slaying all the worshipers of Baal in Israel. 1 Kings 10, 28. Such were some of the tragic consequences of Ahab's choice to take Jezebel as his wife. 
In order to counteract the evil influence of Ahab and Jezebel, God raised up the prophet Elijah, who initiated his work in Israel with a fervent prayer that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months, James 5, 17. As God's revelation to Israel, miraculous confirmation accompanied Elijah's work, proving him to be a prophet of God. He drank of the brook Cherith. God provided his daily food by ravens. When the water of the brook ceased due to the absence of rain, God ordered him to go to the Phoenician village of Zarephath where he prolonged the meal and oil of a poor widow to sustain their needs. When her son died, God responded to Elijah's intercession and restored his life, wholly verified as a prophet of God. She acknowledged, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word in thy mouth is truth. 1 Kings 17, 24. At the close of the drought, God instructed Elijah to meet Ahab and prepare for the confrontation on Mount Carmel. Elijah stood before Ahab and 450 prophets of Baal and challenged Israel to express their allegiance for either God or Baal. An altar was constructed, a bullock was placed upon it, and for some six hours the prophets of Baal pleaded in vain with prayers and shouts and self-mutilation for him to prove himself by consuming the sacrifice with fire. Elijah repaired the altar, cut and placed his bullock upon it, dug a trench around it, and saturated it with 12 barrels of water. When Elijah prayed a brief, simple prayer of faith, the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. 1 Kings 19, 38-39. The prophets of Baal were slain, and God soaked the earth with a great rain. Surely, expecting a mighty spiritual revival in Israel, Elijah was crushed to hear that Jezebel had sworn with an oath that she would kill him in 24 hours. Supplanting his faith with fear, he fled, entreated God to take his life, and nourished by an angel with food and drink, continued in his 40-day journey to Mount Horeb. While resting in a cave, God inquired of him with a soul-searching question. What doest thou here, Elijah? 1 Kings 19.9. God's question contained the element of reproof. Elijah's work for God did not involve a cave in Mount Horeb. He was in the wrong place and for the wrong reason. He should have remained in Jezreel at war with Ahab and Jezebel. God would have preserved his life and blessed his efforts. He viewed himself as the sole survivor of the righteous remnant in Israel. God informed him that he had 7,000 left in Israel that had not bowed the near to Baal, the knee to Baal. He had vacated the field of battle and was hiding in fear in the wilderness. 
He ran in victory and hope from Mount Carmel to Jezreel and in panic and despair from Jezreel to a cave in Mount Hor. He allowed one threat from Jezebel to draw the curtain on his mind from the sight of ravens bearing food, the perpetuation of meal and oil, a child restored to life, fire from heaven consuming the altar and sacrifice and the sound of Israel crying, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. He left his courage on Mount Carmel and his fight for God and truth and Israel at the feet of Jezebel. What did Elijah need? He needed to know why he was in a hole in a mountain in the wilderness instead of in Jezreel fighting for God against Ahab, Jezebel, and Baal. He needed a fresh view of God and himself. God addressed his eyes with a great tempest, earthquake, and fire, and his mind with a still, small voice. 1 Kings 19, 12. There was a time when God rent the earth asunder and covered it with water, destroyed four cities with fiery sulfur, humbled a mighty nation with ten great plagues, separated and closed the waters of a sea and a river, and sweetened a source of drinking water with a tree. There was an occasion when God manifested himself on a mountain in fire, smoke, and quaking, publicly executed two priests with fire, opened and closed the earth in an act of judgment, saved people from certain death as they looked upon a brass serpent on a pole, and enabled a donkey to converse with a man. There was a time when God reduced the walls of a mighty city to rubble, used one man to kill a thousand, brought one man and filled numerous vessels with one pot, one pot of oil, healed a leprous man after he had dipped seven times in a specified river, and caused the head of an axe to float on the water. Christ addressed the world of his day by raising the dead, casting out demons, multiplying food to feed thousands, calming angry seas, and healing all manner of diseases and physical maladies. Elijah learned that there is a place for the dramatic, the vivid, the miraculous power of confirmation of God and the messenger of God. But those were only means to the real end and need of the still, small voice of God. At the end of verifying God and his messenger, the question is, what saith the Lord? Where lies the spiritual value of embracing the truth of Genesis 1? That the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, Romans 
without hearing and obeying the precepts and commandments of the voice of God. A multitude of thousands partook of the meal that Jesus provided by a miracle and confessed, this is of a truth the prophet that should come into the world. John 6, 14. But then rejected the truth that this prophet, Jesus, taught them. John 6, 66. Of what spiritual benefit was it for the people of Israel to behold the validating power of God on Mount Carmel and exclaim, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And yet never advancing to the point of declaring, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalms 1, 19, 89. Is there any spiritual worth in accepting great miracles from the confirming hand of God? And rejecting great truths, laws, and commandments from the instructive voice of God. What doest thou here, Elijah? Can a man wage war with Satan and the demonic forces of darkness while hiding in fear and dejection in the caves of life? As a preacher of righteousness, 2 Peter 2, 5. Noah contended with a world of perpetual sin and violence for over a century and never fled from the field of battle. Without raising a single argument, Abraham walked for three days to climb a mountain to confront himself in the greatest conflict of his life. Moses fought Pharaoh with the rod of God, and the struggles of life can only be won by the power of faith, providence, prayer, and the still, small voice of God. Zealous for God in righteousness, Phinehas entered the adulterous tent with the javelin of death. Numbers 25, 6 to 13. At the age of 85, having wandered blameless in the wilderness for 40 years. Caleb stood before a mountain of giants and well-fortified cities and said to Joshua, give me this mountain. <coughs> Joshua 14, 12. Why? Because he believed that God would grant him the victory in this final great battle of his life. Last Sunday we reflected on that great statement, give me this mountain. <laughs> Gideon was willing to face an innumerable, innumerable enemy with just 300 men because he believed God when he said, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thy hand. Judges 7, 9. David ran upon the field of battle to fight a mighty Goliath, because he believed that God's hand rested upon his sling and its single stone. Facing a coalition of three great armies, Judah gathered themselves together to seek help of the Lord. 2 Chronicles 24. Jehoshaphat the king led the nation in a prayer, acknowledging their helpless state, their void of perception as to what they should do, and the whole of their trust in and dependence upon God. 
In response to this fervent prayer of humility, faith, and trust, the comforting, still, small voice of God declared, Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. Second Chronicles 20, 17. When the conflict ended, not a single enemy soldier of God in Judah was left alive. What doest thou here, Elijah? He hearkened to the reproving, consoling, instructive, still, small voice of God left his cave of fear and despair and returned to the field of battle against Ahab, Jezebel, and Baal. John said, God is love, 1 John 4, 8. And it embraces the whole world, John 3, 16. David declared that God is full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy, Psalms 86, 15. Paul described God as being rich in mercy, Ephesians 2, 4. And Peter depicted God's long-suffering as being extended to every person on earth, 2 Peter 3, 9. God's love, mercy, and long-suffering hovers over the whole of the Bible. Every page glistens with these wondrous attributes of God. The wicked reign of Ahab was saturated with expressions of these traits of God and other realities and experiences of his rule that should have brought him to his spiritual senses. He made Baal the national god of Israel. But for over three years, Baal was unable to moisten the earth with a single drop of water that God had forbidden to fall upon the land. 450 prophets of Baal were unable to elicit a word from Baal in the confrontation on Mount Carmel, nor was Baal able to save them from the sword of Elijah. Moreover, when the Syrians and 32 vassal rulers in the area besieged Samaria, that's the capital city of Israel, it was God, not Baal, who bestowed aid, and God initiated his personal involvement by sending a prophet and raising a great question. Hast thou seen all this great multitude? 1 Kings 20, 13. He then answered his own question, declaring, Behold, I will deliver it into thy hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. God's promise of immediate aid was fulfilled as the text asserts. And the king of Israel went out and smote the horses and chariots and slew the Syrians with a great slaughter. 1 Kings 20, 21. Suppose Ahab had rejected God's answer to his own question and had sought aid from Baal. He would have negated God's promise and replaced his blessing with a curse. And this is exactly what happened to Jehoram, his second son, to rule over Israel. That's what he did. And he died as a result. First, second Kings chapter 1. 
God's question to Ahab and its answer resounds with practical admonition. Hear the question again. Hast thou seen all this great multitude? Job said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Job 14, 1. A man's life will be lived in just a few days, but his troubles and problems will be many. A multitude of Syrians were knocking on the door of Israel, and a multitude of temptations, problems, afflictions, and vexations are going to knock on the door of every man's life. To whom or what are we going seeking aid? If a man resorts to worldly philosophies, academic professors, psychology, human wisdom, false religions, or his own strength and insight, he is courting disaster. The passing of time witnessed the Syrians once again threatening Israel with war. They just refused to quit. They just kept coming back. And that's the way the devil is. He doesn't quit. He doesn't give up. His eyelids never droop in weariness. He does not go to bed at night and sleep away hours that from his perspective can be far more victoriously involved in going from man to man and woman to woman with his darts of evil and wickedness. He just keeps on coming. He may on occasions relent for just a short time so a person can commence to say, maybe I'm not so weak after all. I must be a pretty strong fellow. I'm getting along mighty well. And then he comes in with sometimes almost a knockout <coughs> blow out of nowhere. Well, these Syrians are back again knocking on the door of Israel. They surrounded the village near Samaria where Elijah and his servants were residing with a great military host. Early the following morning, Elisha's servant beheld them and cried out with fear. He got up early. And in the cool of the morning, he steps outside the door and lo and behold, the military of Syria had them encompassed. He cried out with fear. Elisha petitioned God to open his eyes that he might see the abundant provisions of God for their present need. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full 
of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. 2 Kings 6, 17. When we find ourselves encompassed by the troubles and distresses of life, and we often do, we would do well to open the door of time here, outside, and by faith. Behold the angelic host of heaven and reflect upon the words of Elisha to his servant. Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Second Kings 6, 17. God's greatest provisions, of course, are provisions for our sins. He has promised to take care of us as we are encompassed about with the problems and difficulties of life. He has told us, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm going to help you. I'm not going to do all the work for you. You've got to do your part. But as you do, I will accompany you every step of the way and take care of you until your life ends. But it's when life ends that we really see the greatest provisions of God's love, grace, mercy, and long-suffering. As we behold the benefits of having by faith repented of our sins, confessed Christ, been baptized into Christ, because we believe Jesus when he said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And because in spite of our frailties and weaknesses, we held fast to the end that we enter the world of paradise. And at time's end, hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. If you need to respond to the invitation in any way, we hope you'll come while we stand and sing. Terry, I your load will bear. Bring me every burden, bring me every care. Come unto me. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. my mind. Come, my yoke is easy, and my burdens lie. Hear the invitation, whosoever will, eat his tender mercy, come to him and live. Hear the bride and spirit, come, oh, come today. Jesus will forgive you, come without delay, come unto me. 
I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Hear me and be blessed. I am meek and lowly. Come and trust my mind. Come, my yoke is easy. Come to Jesus now, yes, his blood will cleanse you, save you by his power. Come today to Jesus, he will make all new. Hear his tender pleading, he is calling you. Come unto me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, hear me and be blessed. I am meek and lowly, come and trust my mind, come, my yoke is easy. Burdens love.